Hey everybody, we at Podgave Rock and Roll Do You want to make it clear that we don't mean any offense by our comments, critiques, or opinions. We're not music critics, just buddies that use talking about music as an excuse to hang out. Also, our language is intended for adult ears. Enjoy! Cause I'm in the shit house Wish I played in a rock and roll band Somebody give me a dollar bill So I can pass out So, fellas, the big music news this week was uh, the passing of the legend, uh, Loretta Lynn. And I was curious because I, I mean, she's like old, old country music. Like, she's mm-hmm. like 60s country music fame. She's like Patsy Cline era fame, but didn't die until this week at 90. What is your experience with Loretta Lynn, Neil? Honestly, I could kind of pick out her voice. I listened to a little, but I'm not really not that familiar but from what I listened to, obviously she's got just that whole, that old, like high lonesome sound. It's really nice. I know she's a legend. I'm just not super familiar, but I think I yeah. will be more familiar after her death because I'll probably like <laughs> go and listen to it. And uh, you'll honor, have a little, maybe her. not a deep dive, but like a, a shallow dive. Yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> dip. I'll dip. <laughs> and Jeff, what about you? Yeah, so she came on my radar. I mean, in a lot of ways, thanks to you, Josh, because you have more exposure to kind of that genre yeah. back in the day and and really kind of more came into my mainframe when she recorded that album with Jack White like yeah. I guess that was I don't know 15 years ago now um, we were in college because yeah, yeah I, I had that album for I had that on CD for yeah sure. I, I did as well and I I played the hell out of that album a couple songs it, in particular I really loved yeah um slow um, gin fizz or something Portland like, Oregon and slow gin yeah, fizz baby yeah it's a it's a great song, and that spun me down a bit of a rabbit hole of listening to a bunch of her stuff, and definitely appreciate the kind of effortless beauty in her voice and the kind of ability to soar yeah. with it. I, I enjoy the kind of light, you know, the light kind of kitschy lyrics that she brings to a lot of her songs. It's just good fun, and I I think that's like old timey country music is supposed to be good fun. If it's not about hard times, it's about good fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I almost feel like she was a little too, like, because, you know, I heard her a lot growing up, you know, I've said on this pod before, you know, my grandparents listened to T or watched TNN a lot, and I spent a lot of time at their house. TNN was the Nashville network, mm-hmm. precursor to the country, mu- CMT, the country music network, or country music. Television. Uh, television, yes, there you go. I was like, what is the T? Uh, <laughs> Technology. <laughs> <laughs> technology um but she was always a little too, it was almost a little too adult for me at that time it wasn't because her music's not super poppy i i wouldn't say it's from like that 70s kind of 80s 90s country pop it's very like you said there was some kitsch to it it was very straightforward storytelling which i think i appreciate probably more today than i than i did as a kid like i i probably couldn't name five songs off the top of my head or at least Three of them would be on that album that we listened to in college, Jeff, right? Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. <laughs> Jack White. But from everything you hear, it's like she was one of the first people to, to kind of write and perform her own tunes mm-hmm. as a female artist. I think that's the big thing about her. Because like even like Patsy Cline of that era was basically performing other people's songs. Yeah, so more of a trailblazer than like a hit maker. Yeah, well, although she had a lot of hits, yes. Yeah. But like, is there, I mean, I was looking at her Spotify thing, like it looked like the most uh, famous was Coal Miner's Daughter. It's just, it's all kind of old stuff, you know? But yeah, I mean, like Dolly was kind of the next iteration of that. And we know her songs much better, or we know much more about Dolly Parton than we do about Loretta Lynn. Mm -hmm. All of her hits came from 70 onward. Most of Loretta Lynn's came uh, Mm -hmm. pre pre 1970. So, but Josh, you 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 find her to be more kind of authentic old country than the stuff that came in the 70s? Yes, because it was and maybe more because of production value and how those songs were produced. Cuz in country music there's a pretty definitive line of when production styles kind of changed. And you can and I, I don't know technically enough to kind of comment on that, but if you go listen to stuff from the 60s, there's a specific sound and when you get around 70, when, when you have the outlaw country, when you have the Conway Twitties and, 
and you know the the hair and the sweat and all of the nudie suits and stuff. It it sounds different. There is a different, and I would, I, I want to say grittier sound. There was some. There was it was less clean, less polished. Mm-hmm. And that's like an increase in production going into the seventies, or a, um, or more of like a change in approach. I think a change because if you look at the history of Nashville, and I would say to anyone who is interested in this, you can. You know, the Ken Burns Country Music Doc is fantastic. Uh, eight hours of, of, of this, if you can sit through it. And then the Cocaine and Rhinestones podcast uh, is also a good kind of history of specific aspects of country. But, you know, watching that stuff and kind of knowing a little bit about it, you can trace production back to a couple of people in country music. And there was a guy in the 30s and 40s. I, I'm not going to remember the names. And then again, and then there was a guy that worked under him who kind of mixed things up a little bit in the 50s and 60s. And then there was a guy under him that kind of mixed things up a little bit in the 70s. So it was kind of taking what was there, reintroducing that method with some changes to whatever the generation was looking for in, in whatever decade you're in. And, and you, you can hear it. If you go back and listen to country music from specific periods, it may just be as simple as less... Uh, there's a lot of haunting melodic like the Jordan Airs and a lot of stuff in like the 50s and early 60s that kind of you don't hear much yeah um like once you get to the 70s and, and now fe- is that less production is that better or, or worse production I don't know I mean I kind of, you know a lot of people like the 70s because there is that grit and that like kind of independent flavor to it mm-hmm. I feel like in the 70s like right around <clears throat> late 60s 70s like just there was more toys there was more focus on creative recording as opposed to like just recording you know the music for you know posterity or posterity you know it almost Mm -hmm. seems like in the 50s and 60s they were just kind of recording you know and and weren't really taking too many chances you were still doing the thing you know we talked about stevie wonder last week was like this is his 16th album like it was literally like people just you're going into the studio and recording three albums a year whereas in the 70s it's like you know redheaded strangers coming out you know like he's spending years recording that you know, and there's a lot of old elements to country to that, but there's also a lot of the 70... Country music was not unaffected by the flower revolution, you know? Mm-hmm. The player, the the side players were probably, a lot of them, hippies, you know? The older age was kind of mm-hmm. dying off, and you had kind of these younger players that... Yeah. And you can kind of hear that now, actually. I feel like we've been going through a little change in the last five years in country music from a an overproduced kind of polished this is the formula to a more independent there's different artists now that you can find that are kind of doing their own thing and making it a little more interesting was that whole like polished country all the way from the early 90s till a couple years ago (laughs) absolutely yes (laughs) Yes. it's a long run of clean country Okay, so moving past Loretta Lynn, which, you know, a, a, a legend for, for many reasons that we probably didn't expound upon because we don't, <laughs> we don't, we're not uh, experts, but uh, obviously respect and, and appreciate that. I had a question for you guys. So I'm, I, I, I still get Rolling Stone magazine, right? I've been getting that magazine since we were in college, Jeff. I used to buy it at the store, at the Star Market, now, and then I just just like, why am I wasting money? So I was reading about Ozzy's new album, and... He's got, like, a lot of people on there. You know, like, Taylor Hawkins plays on some tunes. Jeff Beck, Clapton. <laughs> Jeff Beck's on every album. Jeff Beck's on it, yeah, yeah. Except his own. An old six... <laughs> Except his own. Cameo. He's fucking the cameo king. <laughs> so, okay. So, Ozzy was like, you know, it was great working with everybody. And Clapton and Beck, he was super excited about because they were heroes of his. He's like, I can't believe these guys are agreeing to pay with me. So, they sent a song to him. And one of the lines said, "Days like it's days like these I don't believe in Jesus," which Ozzy said he wrote after like another school shooting in America, right? Because Ozzy kind of like he moved to England, and like one of the reasons he said, which he said was kind of bullshit, he just said it because he was fucking pissed, was because there's so many school shootings in America mm-hmm. and the gun problem. Basically, is what he said. I'm moving to I don't want to get fucking shot down in public, and so. <laughs> so my thoughts were, you know, he ended up convincing Clapton like we're gonna use this line. But if somebody sent you a song, you're like, yeah, I'm going to play on it. And you're like, but that line, you need to change. I mean, I get it. That's Clapton, but that is balls. Oh, Clapton just didn't like that? Yeah, he just said the wording in this line, I'm not too big on. Did he cave? Did Ozzy cave? No, 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 no. Ozzy pushed back. They went back and forth. And 
it ended up staying. But oh, we, where did artistic license? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But where does artistic? Because it's his song. Like for me, I'm like, let's just say they didn't specify whether he had agreed yet. But basically, mm-hmm. they were like everybody was cool except for oh, Clapton. And they just put it out where he was like, well, yeah, you should reword this. He ended up playing on the song. He didn't comment for the article. Unfortunately, Clapton's one of my heroes, but it seems like he's real got a real stick up his ass lately. Like with the whole COVID <laughs> thing, this um, just anytime he's in the news, it's because he's like just seems like a pissed off little kid about something. You know what I mean? Former rocker, crotchety old man. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like he's just trying to like pull his Clapton clout around. But I'm glad Ozzy pushed back. Um, I still love Clapton, but it, it but. The recent years have been disappointed. This speaks to your other question, kind of, Josh, is like, what what is the role of the artist kind of in terms of expressing their, you know, cultural, political views through this kind of context? Or just if you're not comfortable with it, and maybe we're, we're, we're not giving him enough credit to where maybe he's not comfortable with it from that, that perspective and says... Hey, I'm not comfortable with this, and so I'm either not going to play on it, or you need to do something else. So, yeah, that could be a, a, a thing that's going. But I think from the way that I'm kind of looking at it is, yes, if it's if it's Joe the Joe Blow Five asking Eric Clapton to be on their song, and he's like, "Hey, change this," they're probably going to be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll change it," <laughs> okay? Because they Clapton's lending his name to that. Yeah, if it's Ozzy yeah. Osbourne, I mean, at this point. What's the difference? What's you know? I mean, I know Clapton's probably more respected as a musician for by musicians, but in terms of publicity and like what you're adding, the heft you're adding, they're pretty much the same kind of name at this point, right? So you're not. It's not like I'm not gonna do it if you don't do that. Like either play on it or don't. Fucking get on with your day, Clapton. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I agree, Neil. He he. I mean, he should have just been like, let's do a different song. I I think it's kind of corny. You know, we like to think of songs as works of art. So somebody have completing a work and then sending it off. He wasn't, you know, sending it off for his notes. He was sending it off so that Clapton could learn the song and play on it. Clapton just plays a really loud lick over that line. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's all about artistic license. And, and, And on that note, you are listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. And this week... Uh, we're really diving into artistic license because we are discussing the Randy Newman penned Three Dog Night Transformed uh, number one hit Mama Told Me Not to Come released on their 1970 album It Ain't Easy and produced by Richard Podolore and released on Dunhill Mama told me not to come Before I talk about this song, I, I want to talk about the label that this was put out on, Dunhill. Let me ask you guys a question. Cigarette brand yes. or no? <laughs> Not that I've heard of. I don't know. It's, does it, are you just saying, does it sound like a cigarette brand? Yes. Oh. It sounds like a cigarette brand. I've yeah, definitely shopped on a Dunhill before, I believe. <laughs> I think we're thinking of Doral, but it just that, that made me laugh today when I think about it. Um are you are you showing us that it is a cigarette brand? Oh yeah, it comes right up. Uh, Dunhill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yes. Okay, I'm I'm glad my in my initial my first not to my be confused with Doral. So in this case, Josh writing his joke was he learned something in the past, <laughs> forgot that he had learned it, and then said it later. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best kind of jokes. Uh, the jokes that inform. Uh, <laughs> so Three Dog Night definitely introduced to them via infomercials. I don't know if y'all remember, but there was like songs from the 70s. And then it, uh, usually it was Jeremiah Had a Bullfrog, I think was like mm-hmm. the one. It's like, Jeremiah, you know. And and then you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. But whenever I heard them as a kid, their songs always sounded so, like so much fun. And I always liked the vo- the vocals and, and how, you know, the band sounded, etc. And at that age, I could tell they were kind of a kitschy band. You know, mm-hmm. but it seemed like they were having fun with that and understood it. It was almost like them and the Guess Who were like fighting for territory. Yeah, but they certainly the Guess were. Who was, was a grudge who I love. Yeah, the Guess Who, who I love, were just a little, a little more serious than they were. But anyway, I, 
I bought like a double disc compilation and I remember hearing this song and like one is the loneliest number and those were the two that I was like oh my god these are actually amazing fucking songs I, I always love story songs and I love how the, the production really caters to the lyric in this song and, and really builds this trippy like hazy stumblesville vibe around the lyrical content that just is such a fun journey to, to go on every time I listen to it. And, and the other like really cool thing I love about this song, it's there's an innocence there that as a kid drew me to the song and, and made me want to experience like, you know, the world that <laughs> this guy was in, even though there was like some, there was also an element of danger and, and maybe that's why it drew me as well. And even though I've outgrown that world now, like revisiting it, I still want to go back there, you know, occasionally. And I think if you hear this and and you can't imagine, like, being in that world ever. Like, if, if I was 50 and I was just like, ugh, who would want to do that? I've never been there. Then I kind of feel like you've missed out on life a little bit. This is one of my favorites. Let's, let, let's say top 50. This is a top 50 song for me. So this song Sweet. comes to me in a very particular context that is pertinent to our discussion here for sure. I... <laughs> I'm not sure that I heard this song before college, I have to admit, but once I got there, I heard it a lot <laughs> because, because I would say Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, there was a very particular hour that this song would find its way into the disc player by a very particular pod gave rock and roll to you host. And it was always yes. quite late. And Josh would kind of elbow his way over to the disc player and nudge out. Sharp elbows. <laughs> Very sharp. Nudge out whatever Wu-Tang was going on at the moment. Yeah. And uh, make sure that everyone got to appreciate this little piece of brilliance. I, I also do love this song. And I don't know if it's nostalgic or if there's just a quality to it. But I, I think it's a, it's a really fun tune. To tag onto that, Jeff. Now that that disc, that that CD that we had, the first this was the second song on it because the first one was a song that you put on by our Pod Gave Rock songwriter from last week, Stevie Wonder. Uh, mm -hmm. Boy was born in the heart of Mississippi. Oh uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Title of the song oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> so so this we had this on a burned disc that was like. Uh, we specifically made for this hour of night at parties. Yes. This is how we spent yes. our time during the week, preparing <laughs> for what was the exact right music to put on later at night in parties. But this was definitely an album that, like you said, it, this this was on every every party night, yeah. especially at the Red House where we hung it. We spent a lot of time. Yeah, for Austin, sure. Austin, Massachusetts Red House. I hope it's still up. <laughs> And uh, Over hasn't been torn down I'm yet. I'm pretty sure it's uh, a, a triplex that goes for like 3000 apiece <laughs> per unit. Want some whiskey in your water? Sugar in your tea? What's all this crazy I, too, love this song. It's funny, uh, a couple weeks ago, I actually put it on a playlist for us to use as album inspiration for our recording here in a couple weeks. <laughs> nice. Um, cool. For the guitar specifically, for the production, the guitar sound. I just really loved it. I've never, this has never been one of my tunes that I'm like, ooh, I fucking love that. But, you know, just the fact that it inspired me a couple weeks ago, just from its production is pretty awesome. The song as a whole is such a performance. Like it, yeah. the guy singing is so over the top and comical, <laughs> but when the chorus hits, they get serious. You know what I mean? It's kind of like yeah. the chorus really brings a lot to the song because without that really powerful chorus, it's just like this funny voice and almost like a, almost like a comedy kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I, think, I I I look at it as a comedy, and I look at it as the chorus comes in, and they're laughing at this guy. This is the other people at the party who are experienced and have been through this kind of laughing at him. Yeah, totally. But I don't believe the narrator in this song. I feel like this is him telling <laughs> the story of the first time he went to a party, where he's like, almost before every verse, he's like, and then I was like... What's that crazy smell? <laughs> so, so you're saying you think this is a guy at another party? This years he, he's later got a good like, buzz going. He's all and he's like, "Let me tell you about the night I went to." Uh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, um, I can see that. And then just the song as a whole, I, I definitely became fascinated with the Randy Newman version. You can really 
tell where the where the whole song comes from. When you hear his version, you're like, ah, ha, ha, okay, I get it. <laughs> oh, Randy um, again, but you playful motherfucker. But this version uh, specifically, I do love it. It's it's not it's not in my pantheon because of its like just the nature that band has in general, almost like yeah. a very PG nature. But um, That's it's fair. a solid That's B plus. Before we get into their version, because I think the best part of this song is the lyric. So let's just talk about Randy Newman for a second. We don't have to talk about his version specifically, because I, I feel like if I've heard one Randy Newman song, I've heard them all, even though I could base, I, I love him as a lyricist. I, I don't know how you couldn't if you've heard any of his freaking songs. He's such a good songwriter. And, and this lyric in general is so fun. Every line turns into the other like a, like a page turner. But like you said, Neil, it's not a thriller. It's a comedy. Like you want to hear what is what happens next to this guy at the party. And there's not that many songs that draw me in like a book like this does. Yeah. Lyrically. Yeah, I hear you. But at the same time, I feel like the verses could be almost anything. Like you could go on and on just telling little bits of like a night and then just kind of bring it into the chorus like they're cool they're great i don't think they're bad by any means or terribly forgettable but you know what i mean you could just keep going and be like and then it was like the people in the pool and <laughs> yeah i totally agree that that is fair but if you if you actually look and listen to like every word he's saying it's set up like it, every verse is set up like a joke you know open up the window let some air into this room i think i'm almost choking from the smell of stale perfume and that cigarette you're smoking i'm scared half to death mm-hmm. open up that window sucker let me catch my breath. Like, the the line he uses before the chorus, because Mama told me not to come is basically the punchline, you mm-hmm. know? So he has the, don't turn on the lights because I don't want to see. Open up the window. Uh, I don't want to see no more. Like, all of those lead into just a f- comical picture of this guy <laughs> mm-hmm. who I, you, you do kind of feel like is fucked up, even though it's it's written from the perspective he's not. And that may be production, which we can talk about in a little bit. But just lyrically, it, it's almost like written from a joke writer's perspective, but really well, like a really smart intellectual comedian. Yeah, like all Randy Newman stuff, just has such a cool, <laughs> like, even though he's not saying much, he's definitely painting an awesome picture for every song. Yeah, you know? yeah I, I think that's, that's exact, exactly right, that they're setups and punchlines, and I think that's done purposely, and it comes through when you, like, really see it on the page. But there's also a cleverness to the way the lyrics are written because mm-hmm. you do f- you feel like you're there, of course. You, you can close your eyes and imagine the scene, and that's partially because we've all seen that scene. You know, yeah. we've, we've all seen that in different places. But it's different than saying, like, oh, man, it's stuffy in here. There's, like, a... <laughs> You know, there's there's a creativity to instead saying, open up that window, let some air into this room. It's a it's a lot more colorful and paints like a deeper picture to say because you can feel that there's depth to that. There's an action. Yeah. There's a change. There's like a tightness. There's. Yeah. Well, with a less skilled lyricist, this would kind of come off as truly disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, you can just yeah, see like yeah. the the billow of smoke from the doobie rolling out the window. You know what I mean? I've seen so many things I never seen before. Don't know what it is. I don't want to see no more. told me not to come. I mean, while we're on the lyrics, a couple things, right? Like the cigarette that they're smoking that scares him is obviously supposed to be not a regular cigarette, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and the I, I'm honestly I'm honestly just getting that now with you saying it so obvious. Oh, really? and I'm like, Yep, yep. <laughs> I, I just had to, I just had thought about it like that, but yes. And the uh, the sugar in your tea is obviously not sugar, right? That's also <laughs> yes. innuendo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just do, let's just <laughs> let's just clear the plate for that. <laughs> I'm surprised as a songwriter. Like, I definitely I, I'm not good at writing songs, but <laughs> just the way he says what's all these crazy questions and then the next line is this is the craziest party i've ever seen i know myself i would have been like i can't use crazy twice in a row yeah yeah it's just it's just it's just bad writing (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i I don't even notice it It in the song yeah no i never noticed it until i looked at it on a page that i mean that's what you're taught 
in your like expository writing class when you learn how to write <laughs> properly. You're supposed to find a second <laughs> adjective. Don't be redundant. But I guess if this was the kid talking, um, he's not trying to flex his vocabulary. He's just like, what are these crazy questions? This is crazy. This part is crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if you do speak it like that, it, it does make make more sense. That that's that's for sure. Um, okay, so so let's let's not harp on the lyric too much longer. But Jeff, do you have a favorite line? Oh, that's a great question. I I actually the the line I mentioned before. I really love that. Open up some open up the window, let some air into this room. Yeah, for, for some reason, that's just like the whole picture to me. <laughs> it's overwhelming. I need, to, I, need, I, need, I, need, I need fresh air. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Neil, what about you? Um, I like the third verse the best. Once they're rocking and rolling, the radio's blasting, someone knocking at the door. I, you know what? I think, I think the, the I'm looking at my girlfriend, she's passed out on the floor is for me because we didn't know we had a girlfriend there at the party until just now. You know? <laughs> so for me, whenever he hits that line, I'm like, what? When did the girlfriend come in? She's, right now? Okay. She smoked that crazy cigarette. So while you were just like tripping out and being all paranoid, she was, she was not. <laughs> she, was, she was indulging. <laughs> uh, and now the difference is, I think, when you listen to Randy Newman and you listen to this, Neil, you mentioned it. The vocal from Corey Wells, who is actually, he's a lead singer in this. He pushed the band to even record this. They didn't mm-hmm. really want to because his previous band, they played in it. And this is why I do love this band. I get why you say they're PG, but he feeds off this lyric. I mean, he chews up this scenery, and he does it in a hammy way, but, like, there's no cheese. Yeah, it's a good performance, and like I said, the chorus really classes the whole thing up. You know what I mean? Because he can be kind of, like, funny, be play this character, and then, then like, this just big sound comes in with everyone singing harmonies and the cool, like, uh, walking bass lines and guitars. Just the way he acts it out is is just something you, you... Like, a lot of singers aren't confident enough to even try to do that because it is a fine line. I, I mean, it is a fine line. Jeff, do you find it cheesy, or do you find it just hammy, no cheese? No, I, th- I think that summary is really, really good. It, it kind of, yeah, both that it's a great performance and that he's hamming right into it and leaning into, you know, the comedy of it without it coming off too corny. Yeah, I, I never really felt that the song was corny. No, and I think when it came out, too, like it was just such a... I don't know, maybe if you did something like this now, it could become cheesy, but just it, it, it seems like it was one of the first of its kind to really like dive into this ham. Yeah, it's like it's like pre-Rocky Horror, mm-hmm. where you can kind of picture picture that, you know. The, the two standouts, I would say, is the, uh, I think I'm almost choking. You know, he like <laughs> sings it like he's choking, and then the, uh, I'm scared half to death. <laughs> yeah, definitely, the whole band's having a great time, that's for sure. <laughs> Melodically, I mean, the song is basically just one four with some variations on those two chords, and, and so melodically, it's not doing a whole lot. I mean, it, it it really just kind of flows and flows and flows and flows, and just it's just moving along. Yeah, right. Melodically, but the music there's there's a lot of little musical changes. The what the what's going on in the chorus, and then the bum 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 down down. There's a lot of musical movements. But it's not melody-focused, like vocally. But I think the simplicity of the melody allows for that kind of carefree mm-hmm. vibe, mm-hmm. you know? Because you're not, there's not that many changes. It allows kind of the production and the, the music to, to kind of find their own ways to, to, to create dynamics, which they do an, an amazing job of. I mean, speaking of which, the, the production was done by Richard Podolor, who was a recording musician in the... 50s and early 60s and then he was an audio engineer for uh some early dead albums the monkeys uh but then he kind of made his hay producing steppenwolf Hmm. and then three dog night which kind of see the uh escalation there to that but i i think you know he makes no mistakes in this song you know i i don't know how much is this is three dog night or how much of this is him but there's really just you know bass guitar wurlitzer drums yeah yeah i mean yeah it's a kind of music and production um just one thing i noticed is the way like right from the start the music the instruments are almost drunk and wobbly with the wurlitzer the the squealing guitar like 
the, the yeah all the instruments have had uh have been overserved <laughs> yeah I, overserved <laughs> maybe just right i i think this song really benefits from being listened to on headphones I uh, oh, yeah. the first handful of times I listened to it, I was in my car this week, and then you know today when I was you know tightening up my preparation for the pod, I had to make sure I got it on oh, headphones. Yeah. I I think you know the first bit of Wurlitzer comes into your left channel, and then the drums yeah. come into the right channel, and you can feel them kind of pushing back and forth into one another. And the yeah. vocal comes in in stereo right down the middle, and and, uh, and the song just has such a full vibe already by that point. the The other thing that I think I underappreciated before I listened to it on headphones was what you were talking about, Neil, about the walking bass lines and the walking guitar riffs, especially mm-hmm. later in the song and the kind of oh, breakdown yeah. of the mama told me mama told me and those yeah. walking just those kind of simple blues walking guitar riffs yeah. that are like so they just they just carry you forward with the song yeah i feel like um i haven't learned it yet but i feel like <laughs> the bass is walking up and the guitars walking down they meet in the middle at some point because like bang <laughs> bang and the bass is like bo do do bo do you know <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. Like it's it's so powerful what they do in that chorus. Like it, it gives you, it gives it muscle. It gives the song muscle that it doesn't have. Because like mm-hmm. you were saying, it, it, it the 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 Wurlitzer is so wobbly and it I probably always thought that was bass until a few years ago. But you know, and then you the guitar all it's doing is a couple little yeah like a little like ghostly little but, hits here and there during the verses. Yeah, and then when the guitar comes in in the chorus, it's got, it's played through a Leslie speaker, so it's wobbling too. It's whoom, whoom, you know what I mean? It's playing through an organ yeah. speaker. Everything, it, everything, the the way I don't in, in this production and in the, in the instrumentation they choose and the notes they're choosing to play, it kind of is all together. It really creates this vibe around this very specific lyric of a trippy, like you get more fucked up as the song goes along, and by the end. When all of these voices are coming at you, and all of those guitar, the walk up and the walk downs, and all of this stuff, it's just an overwhelming sensation, which is kind of what you're probably supposed to get from the, this guy's perspective. And then to that crazy ending where it's almost like shit spinning now. You're looking at a TV, it's going up and down, it's time to mm-hmm. pass out. You know, mm-hmm. where everything kind of falls out and it's just, and it's just him hitting a couple circusy piano mm-hmm. licks you know just one thing to note that i didn't know before uh i guess wikipedia said donna summer was singing backups on this no well. way yeah uncredited donna summer well we should we should take this moment to to say so Corey wells as i mentioned lead vocals uh chuck negron and danny hutton background vocals uh mike alsop guitar joe Shermy on bass guitar Floyd Sneed playing the drums and Jimmy Greenspoon on on the Wurlitzer and then yeah uncredited Donna Summer was back there doing uh yeah doing some stuff as well I think um similar to what I commented on in the Warren Zevon song I think there was a lot of bad white dancing and winking in the studio like yeah <laughs> groovy <laughs> a thing i think when one of your pg things and a lot of times i listen to them and i don't mind this but they like to do circus style pianos and i mean there's a whole song that's like baby the show must go on which i i do love that song but whenever i play it for people they're like please turn this off <laughs> but the, <laughs> but this song has the beginning like some of that in it like some of that playing that the keyboard does especially on the stops Mm-hmm. Makes it a little circusy. Like we're in the we're in the fucking big the what are you, what is that the big ring or the big big uh, top big top <laughs> we're the under big the big ring. top now the three <laughs> ring circus is the big top <laughs> mix them up we're, we're, we're under the big top now and, and I, I think they like to go there and I like to go there with them you know so in saying that Jeff why don't you give me your favorite part of this song yeah I I guess um. Before today, I would have said the boo do 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 those kind of transitions between the uh, between the verses. I think 
are just this kind of nice like resetter resetting recentering but my favorite part really after listening specifically on headphones like i was saying earlier is that mama told me mama told me the breakdown at the end with the everything is kind of firing on all cylinders Mm -hmm. and the 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 lead guitar is walking like a traditional (laughs) blues walk line and um yeah i'd say that's my favorite part yeah they're giving us a a a three dog night palooza there at the end similar to our stevie palooza from last (laughs) week it was a callback fellas it may not have been a good one but I'd like it to be acknowledged. No, uh, but Jeff, now in saying that, that's your favorite part. Do you, do you like the the whistle? Uh, again, I've heard this song thanks to you probably three hundred times minimum, <laughs> and I never heard that whistle before before I listened on headphones today. And I was like, oh shit, there's a little whistle. <laughs> but but do you notice how how not clean it is? Oh yeah, this which comp- is, which I love. Wrong notes. It's like a dude like <laughs> at the party who is trying to whistle to the song that is uh, being played. He's trying to whistle to the girlfriend that's passed out on the floor. You can't do wrong. Uh, <laughs> Neil, what what is your favorite part of this? Well, song? I'll quote Josh Bond here. I like the muscle in the chorus. Um, no, I mean, just like the way the guitar is being like, those notes are hit with concrete, like boom, boom, boom. Like it's just, it's, it's got a lot of power. And like I said, I, I had flagged it for inspiration for my own recording. So yes. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I, if I can't just say the lyric or his delivery, which I think are like just my two, I just, that's what sticks out to me. But if you listen to this song. The mama told me, mama told me, mama told me, told me, told me, that ain't the way. Like, all, what, mm-hmm, how they're mm-hmm. just going at each other vocally mm-hmm. in the end there. It rivals the uh, five com- Stevies. <laughs> yeah, with, it, it combined with the guitar licks that are being played and that, that Wurlitzer that's just so fantastic throughout. I mean, I, it's hard to say that, the, the, you know, it doesn't peak there at, at, the, at the end. At some point during the end, well, you can cherry pick whatever part of that, but... I think at some point in the end, it's fine. But just a couple of fun facts on the song before we move on. Uh, th- this did hit number one, and it. Uh, Randy Newman, I think, uh, what's in it? Corey Wells said that Randy Newman called him years later, and to or, or would call him every now and then and be like, "Thanks for putting my kids through college," because <laughs> this was his first penned song that that hit number one. And oddly enough, he wrote it in '66, I think, or '67. And then Eric Burden was the first person to record it on his original solo album, uh, which a lot of the way that and I had never heard that. Is that one. the so, that's the dude from the Animals? Yep. Yeah, like the piano and stuff is in his version. Mm-hmm. The way that Three Dog Night plays it, so they're taking a good bit from his version mm-hmm. as well. So I almost feel like he should almost get some of the, the, the credit for writing this song as well, but it's all Newman. Another fun fact I read to tack on some more fun facts was that this was the first uh, number one on the very first Casey Kasem uh, countdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Here we have yeah. three dog night. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what else can, can do no wrong is, uh, is vibe time. And so uh, Jeff... I know you've been under the weather lately, but are you ready to, to bring us into vibe time? Oh, yeah. Well, cue the music in three, two, one. Mama told me. <laughs> Was that Jeremiah? <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when your Spotify algorithm plays those songs back to back automatically. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, okay, so, uh, you know, it's my song, so I specifically want to hear this late night when, like, shit's getting weird and anything can happen like the night's about to this doesn't happen as much to me anymore but when the night's about to go really good or go really really bad that's 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 when i want to hear this right before then right before decisions are being made (laughs) yeah i I, i'll definitely agree with that it's a perfect song for any kind of after party but what i want to do is uh, do another one of my youtube supercuts and put just clips of euphoria to this song. <laughs> Specifically, end with the with the climax at the end with Fez beating the shit out of Nate 
at the start of season two. <laughs> mama told me, mama told me. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Bravo, Neil. Bravo, oh, Jeff. I don't know how you're going to follow that, but uh, when do you when do you specifically want to hear "Mama Told Me Nothing"? Yeah, I mean, th- this song is it's a it's a late night, late party. Everyone's cooking already for sure, and I mean that's where it will always live in my heart. It's it's just too yeah. nostalgic for that moment. Um, I like <laughs> I like that it's like. It, it could be a propellant to like continue the night when the night otherwise would be would be fizzling it's a propellant out. It's for like, sure they, absolutely this, this party's ending but is the night ending <laughs> <laughs> it's like i have the remedy uh, a little three dog night mama told me not to come well speaking of uh of, of extending the night propelling ourselves into the night why don't we uh slide under the influence and talk about the influences, you know, what it sounds like, where it came from, what 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 moving forward. Just one of those things, or all of those things. Uh, Jeff, what what does this song remind you of, uh, etc.? Yeah, I mean, we touched on it earlier, but uh, it sounds a lot a lot like those bands from the same eras era. But the the production is really unique, and the kind of the kitschiness of the lyric having its root with Randy Newman makes it makes it quite unique. Yeah, I don't have a great answer for you other than the bands we mentioned earlier. Yeah, I mean, I, I it was this was tough because, you know, other than yeah, like the contemporaries, you know, your Steppenwolf's, your uh guess who, kind of those those bands of that that era doing kind of this style of rock. You know, this is influenced by Los Angeles. I, I would say old school songwriting, Brill Building all the way to like Rodgers and Hammerstein, I think. I think he's just of that ilk when he writes songs. And combined with like some '60s, you know, psychedelic yeah. shit. And then moving forward, you know, like I can hear this. I can hear remnants of the production and the writing in anything from like Bohemian Rhapsody to like Jimmy Jazz to uh, even something like American Dream by LCD Sound System, mm-hmm. um, and even some of like the the stuff that the Arctic Monkeys have kind of moved to a piano flavor of of rock lately, and, and even some some stuff like that. Yeah, and I'll agree with you guys. I mean, just their contemporaries. It really reminds me of uh, Guess Who, No Sugar Tonight, Put the Lime in the Coconut, Harry Nilsson. Spill the wine. Uh, Nielsen's a great comp, yeah. Spill the wine for sure. And just the way they're performing those vocally, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, musically, it, it definitely, it's also contemporary, but it reminds me of Credence, just the Born on the Bayou kind of. Uh, boom, 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 uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear that, but yeah, you're right. And then I was also looking at just like um, songs that are similar, like cautionary tales or just stuff like that. And, um, it led me down a road <laughs> of, uh, Pink Floyd. And I think it'd just be hilarious if Pink Floyd covered the song, just kind of like, what are all these crazy <laughs> questions they're asking me? It'd be a lot more spacey. <laughs> this is the craziest party. <laughs> so much echo. <laughs> yeah. But, but I do, I agree with you, Jeff. There, there's something singular to me about this song, and I think that's why it just kind of has stuck with me for so long, and, and it's something that I can always go back to and enjoy. But speaking of uh, going back to and uh, something and enjoying it, guys, I think it's time we slide under the covers for the second time in two, in, in two and a half weeks. So I <laughs> uh, talk about the covers of this song, with which there were plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Neil, you want to you wanna get us started this, on this round? Yeah, I was excited to hear that the Animals or Eric Burden had done it, but I was underwhelmed a little bit. Um, it just it can't, can't hold a candle to the Three Dog Night version. Yeah. Like I said, the Randy Newman, um, that's on my new one of my new favorites. Um, the way he wrote it is a little different. Just uh, the, Even the way he performs that, there ain't no that ain't no way to have fun it's kind of like that ain't no way to have fun <laughs> you know just... yeah it, it's a little bluesier and he's got Ry Cooter playing slide <clears throat> yeah on there um and then I listened to some others that were underwhelming Wilson's pick Wilson Pickett's was actually pretty good but uh I listened to Jackson 5 and Tom Jones and that was a no-go I thought the Jackson 5 one was interesting. Uh, I liked how Michael sings the verses and then the, the older brothers kind of chime in on the thing. It, it, it gets a little, it goes off the rails at a certain point, but I was into it for a, a, a good minute and a half. Yeah, I'm going to make a yeah. really ironic critique, I think, of the Tom Jones version because it's, <laughs> uh, it almost made me angry. 
because <laughs> I, I was like, it's just this, it's just the song, but it's Tom Jones, and he's even performing it in the same style. But of course, it's a little ironic to he's bringing it's a ham and cheese sandwich yeah, yeah. yeah. but it's a little ironic to to like critique him for just pulling the same song when you know it's a cover to begin with so yeah pretty much it's it's just so over the top yeah, yeah. I, I my favorite version by far was the randy newman version mm-hmm. it, yeah. just there's this like authenticity to seeing like oh yeah this is what he what he intended here this is and there, there's yes. like a more classic kind of, uh, you know, blues melody to the vocal with the uh, kind of walk down at the end of the um, <clears throat> at the end of the chorus vocal. I agree, Neil. That's that went right on my like my main playlist that I hope mm-hmm. that it will uh, cycle through from time to time. Um, I also listened to one more by this artist, Carmel, because the, the Spotify list goes on forever. Like, you can just keep deep diving on this. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Um, and it was really cool. It was a very, like, creative, jazzy, avant-garde. Avant-garde. I like avant-garde. that. I like that genre. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was actually really cool. I mean, like, just the music in general was really nice. And then you can barely tell it's this song. But every once in a while, you're like, oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> Mama told me not to come. Yeah, yeah. Randy Newman. That's more of like a. It, it's more. It's really more of a story song. Yeah, and I, I agree with y'all. I mean, there's that one, and then there's just the originality that Three Dog Night interpreted to this. They took the artistic license. They did the. This is the day I don't believe in Jesus, and we're like, I got it. I'm running with it. <laughs> like I know exactly what to do with this, and they did it, and it's perfect. And none of the other ones can really hold a candle to either of those because you get kind of the bare bones and then you get the trippy you know vibe yeah and what they added was the actual vibe of the party they mm-hmm, yes mm-hmm. they they took nothing away from the story and just added to it yeah and built the song around it and that's you can't yeah, ask for a better they, they make it sound so fun when you're supposed to not be going to this it's like no that sounds great <laughs> <laughs> but like you said, Neil, I mean, just going full circle, even the Randy Newman version, I, I still agree with you that it, it sounds like a narrator mm-hmm. telling a story from five years ago mm-hmm. or ten mm-hmm. years ago that he's just kind of remembering over a cigarette and a glass of whiskey with some friends. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, but, but you know what you're always doing when you're, well, most of the time, what you're always doing when you have a cigarette and a glass of whiskey is, is you're wearing shoes. So... Um, <laughs> It's, it's it's time to talk about how the how the shoe fits <laughs> for this for this song. Jeff, you're the guest. What, how does the shoe fit? Yeah, so the shoe fits in a way of something that I want to. I, I don't want to come across this too often at this point in my life, but I do hope <laughs> yes. that I come across it every once in a while. And that's mm-hmm. actually, I lost my shoes at the party, and there's no shoes. <laughs> <laughs> walking home on a cold Boston night in your uh, thick socks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the ice. Just miserable. Uh, but also numb to it to some extent. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Similar to you, Jeff, I do not have shoes on either. But, <laughs> but not because they don't fit and not because I lost them. They're sitting by the door because there's nothing in between that orange shag carpet and my feet. <laughs> you want that shag you want you yeah. want the the whole experience of that shag um that's great I, so for me it fits like like a dress shoe that i wore out to like a like a nice party like maybe there was a nice dinner and then we were at somebody's house and then shit got crazy um but then like this shoe is like caked in mud and who knows what else you know when i like find it and when i wake up in the morning wherever i threw it off in in the house or outside the house like wherever it was thrown i find it and i'm like oh my god i ruined the shoe but i'm still gonna clean it because i want it i want to have it again i want i want to i want to pull it out and you know then in a year or so and and have that same experience with it and so that that's how that's how this this the shoe fits for mama told me not to come love it well on that (laughs) note then (laughs) uh our cover of Randy Newman penned, Three Dog Night performed, uh, Mama Told Me Not To Come. Let's do it live. We'll do it fucking live. 
Want some whiskey in your water, sugar in your tea? What's all these crazy questions they asking me? This is the craziest party that could ever be. Don't turn on the lights, cause I don't wanna see. Mama told me not to come. Mama told me not to come. That ain't the way to have fun. Open up the window and let some air into this room Think I'm almost choking from the smell of stale perfume And that cigarette you're smoking about scare me half to death Open up that window sucker, let me catch my breath Mama told me not to come Mama told me not to come She said that ain't the way to have fun Knocking at your door, looking at my girlfriend's passed out on the floor. I've seen so many things I ain't never seen before. Don't know what it is, I don't want to see no more. Mama told me not to come. Mama told me not to come. She said that ain't the way to have fun. The cover you just heard was performed by Josh Bond. Thanks for listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to communicate with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, Patreon, and even Reddit under the handle at Pod Gave Rock. Next week is our guest's Mr. Jeff Gross's week. So, uh, Jeff, what will we be discussing? We're going to uh, fill in a hole in the Pod Gave Rock catalog and do our first Simon and Garfunkel song. We are going to uh, dig into the boxer. Can't wait! <laughs>